1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Old Brother, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary music institution, The Fall. Each week we invite along our guests to chat about their experiences and memories of the group. I'm sure you know you can find us at Spotify and Apple and all the usual suspects, but we're hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash Old Brother. You can also get all our episodes on YouTube. You can search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe so you'll never miss one. This week we're joined by TV presenter, DJ, author and my St Beats alumnus, Terry Christian, who joins us to discuss his memories of watching and working with the group. Apparently I had some issues with my here, but I rarely say anything of note, so I shouldn't spoil the enjoyment too much. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of All Brother, a podcast about the fall with me, Paul Hanley, and my esteemed brother, Stephen. Say hello, Steve. Hello. Is that it? Uh, you said <laughs> say hello. Hello. Anyway, our guest welcome today, to we're well, delighted. <laughs> Rubbish. Our guest today is uh, uh, the esteemed Manchester journalist, TV presenter and DJ, Mr. Terry Christian. Good afternoon, Terry. How are you? Yeah, good afternoon. Yeah, I'm good. Hello, are you all right? Mired in the past, 61,
0: who'd <laughs> believe that
1: about me, eh? I can't believe it, looking at you, I can't believe you're 61.
0: Never had to work for a living. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not dying, you're there. It's not Johnny Marr Black, is it? <laughs> it?
0: It was, and then I just decided, you know, get, give that one a rest. It right. wasn't
1: fooling anybody. What are you yeah. trying to say about
3: Johnny Marple? No, nothing,
1: no, no. Well, I mean, I, I think it's it probably turned grey overnight after uh, Morrissey's latest letter. Yeah, like, Morrissey you, having a go at him, yeah. Did you see that? Oh, uh,
0: no, but, uh, but <laughs> I mean, again, I, if it was my hair, it would have turned grey by listening to all my own solo albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, did like, I did like Down on the Corner, though, off uh, the Johnny Marr and the Healers album. I just I just find, you know, I, I quite uh, his stuff's all right. I, I wouldn't get over
1: excited about it.
3: Yeah, well, other Johnny Marr stuff than
0: Morris. Live stuff. though, it's good live. Oh, I, I quite like I quite like Morris's stuff. I, I mean, I, they should re-record some of them old Smiths ones, though, shouldn't they? You know, like one where that goes. I, sh- I would go out tonight if I could find a black shirt to wear. <laughs>
1: if, I, if I could find a shirt that fits, I think he'd be singing these days, wouldn't he? <laughs> And <laughs> anyway, welcome to the latest episode of the Smiths podcast with me and Steve. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I could so, talk about them all day as well.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, well, much as I'd enjoy that, I think we're going to have to bring up the subject of the fall. So we were to- talking last week, and I believe that you first saw the fall supporting magazine in October 1977 at Rafters. Is that right? Yep, yeah, yep,
0: yeah, rafters, and uh, in fact, it was around the same time we went through a flurry of gigs. Went to see Steel Pulse. Uh, that might have been maybe a month later at Manchester Poly. That was only a quid. They always, I mean, rafters is a weird place because most bands it was like a quid twenty. Then Elvis Costello a quid fifty. Remember going to see Dillinger there, one pound seventy five. But we obviously we wanted to see Magazine because of the Buzzcocks connection yeah. and. Um, the fall, really, we wouldn't have taken any notice of, of who the support band was, except for the fact that a mate of mine, Terry Ryan, his younger sister, Teresa, was at Notre Dame, you know, uh, the old girls' Catholic second, uh, Catholic, uh, yeah. Catholic grammar school in Cheetah Mill, and yeah. she was best mates with Maureen Baines, whose big sister was Una Baines, who was in the fall. So, again, it was that kind of idea of, you know, because I'd known John Marr out of Buzzcocks, it was that idea of, oh, we can now touch... People were sort of famous. I mean, it was a different thing. People can't imagine what Manchester was like before that era. You know, how we were kind of a bit nothing in a way. Yeah,
3: Mm.
1: it's definitely. But I was going to say, did you never get to the Electric Circus Centre? Because the first time Steve saw the fall was like earlier the same month at the last night of the Electric Circus.
0: No, no, not at all. I mean, you've got to remember, you know, I, we had no money. I lived uh, in Manchester 16 postcode. You had no chance of getting a Saturday job. The minute they saw M16, they just thought you were a thief. <laughs> and, um, you know, we used to have the highest insurance rates, you know, in like sort of Manchester because of that postcode back in the day. You know, right. tra- so yeah. I, I never really had any money, you know. So, you know, people people who went out had money um you know I, I can remember you know the first forays that we made you know to places like rafters you know the great thing about punk for us was you could drink underage and yeah. also it was like it was fairly cheap so you'd get in for like a quid 20 a quid go and see some rubbish you know like the radio stars we used to love going to see deaf school actually they were our favorite band you know from liverpool at the time yeah. and then and, and then beer prices were cheap. And then a taxi, if five of us got a taxi from town, it was, like, cheaper cheaper than the bus fare in. It was, like, 20p. Each. Get you!
3: When we were so near, we were so near.
0: You know, I mean, I, I was about a mile from the city centre.
3: Sorry, Steve. Uh, had you been going to gigs before that, like, at the Free Trade Hall and the Opera House? and the
0: no, no, not, no, not at all, because, again, it was it was down to affordability. So, I mean, my, my first gigs... With uh, those, with those, with those punk gigs, and it, going to see freebies, you know, like you know, bands like Gags playing at the Midland, oh no, the Cavalcade—that was it—in uh, Didsprit and stuff like that. So yeah, and, you know, I mean, it, you know, there were kids who did go to those those sort of gigs and would go and see like Roxy Music and see this band and see that band, but I just never had the money like they did. Where well, did you get your money? You had
1: a job, didn't you, Steve?
3: Ah, uh, can you had a job. I had a job, I was just going to say, I worked at a hotel in Sale and Gags had a residency there.
0: Yeah, but you were, you're were you older than me again, aren't you?
3: A bit older than you, yeah, a
0: couple of yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, you you know, you, you would have had money. I mean, it was just one of those weird things, you know, in the six format beads, the mo- the only money I had was some working and it was a good job at Esso in Trafford Park over the summer and that right. was brilliant. Because you know, it's transport and general workers' union rates, even got a pound a day luncheon vouchers. Good And it, did, it did, help that, did help that my dad was a shop steward as well.
1: Right. So and was he, he loved, a big guy then, your dad? Eh? Was he a big union guy, your dad, I presume?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, on, on a very pragmatic level. So the thing that he did at, at Esso in Trafford Park, you know, because he'd just be like what they call a plant operator, you know, labourer. So, you know, they they, they they used to roll barrels off the ships before they had the direct pipeline to, to Milford Haven because it was on the docks. Yeah. And then they'd have to fill – they'd have, like, plants where they'd be filling, like, antifreeze uh Gear oil, when they used to have that automatic transmission fluid, um, you know, and all these different lines, and then, you know, drive a forklift truck and, you know, s- pack things by, you know, stack things by hand as well. Yeah. But what, but what they used to do, because so they were so busy, all the blokes would have to work one in three Saturdays. And what my dad did was he went, he went to the bosses there I said, yes, we'll work the one in three Saturdays, but instead of an hour for lunch, we'll have 45 minutes, and then we'll still do the one in three Saturdays, to make you know, because we won't need to make up our hours, but that will be time and a half. Now that right. was real socialism, wasn't it?
1: Of course, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. similar to me, dad. My dad worked at um, Dunlops in you know on uh, Upper Cambridge Street, so not far, not far from you, really. Um, so that's what, he was a charge on there. So probably very similar experience. I would have thought he you know, that kind of like you say, that pragmatic kind of socialism. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that that's what's been lost, you know. Whereas when our Kevin, it was uh, the year above. You wasn't he? Yes, at, he or, was. It. At St. Bede's, when our when kev was like the union rep at A at, uh, Town Street, you know, when he was working in the dole office there, when they wanted to sort out temp workers, they got some bloke floated in from uh, the local trade union. He said, "Right, before we have the meeting, can we all agree that we fully support the Sandinistas in Nicaragua?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he t- he talks about that. Mark Steele, when he first like joined the Socialist Workers Party, you know, you'd have the first two hours of the meeting would be saying, "Can we, you know, what's the mm. feminist angle on the wages?" At, uh, you know, the, the, the on the papers. So they, they never actually got anything done. It was all yeah. sort of that. So you were you were you still at St Bede's when you were on that Devil's Advocate? Were you?
0: No, i am not left then. That was that was quite a while later.
1: So I was right. like twenty twenty one when he was on that. Right. Okay. Because I just, I, we were just mentioning Johnny Marr, he was on that as well, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he was 17. Right? Well, we used to chat to him because he had like the Echo and the bunnyman haircut going on,
1: you know. He did, he, uh, was like and, the, he was like the big man on campus at Withenshaw College where I was, Johnny Marr.
0: He, 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 he got really upset. Uh, when 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 uh, he, he moaned on it, he said the only thing he didn't like about being on the dole was like the low dole money, but he actually liked being on the dole because he could practice his guitar all day. And Gus McDonald was disgusted with him and told him off. And uh, yeah, he, he, he was nearly crying, Johnny, after that. Well, wow. he was right though, wasn't he? Well, yeah, well, yeah, but you know, I, I was quite surprised that you know I thought, well, you know, that's just that's just part of the ding dong. That's what it is. You know, you get sick, then you've got to come back at it. Yeah, well, everyone's
1: know, good. not everyone's
0: as good at that as you, Terry. No, no, what it, what it wasn't so much that it was just like you can't stick your big bottom lip out, you know, and that, that's what right. surprised me. Lads from Withingshaw went down in my
1: estimation after seeing him do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Excuse
1: hey, me, <hey>, it. <laughs> 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 right, so that was yeah, that was the in case anybody didn't know that Devil's Advocate it was like a it was a bit like Question Time, sort of, wasn't it? But for, for young well, people,
0: well, but the weird thing was it was made by the World in Action team and it was networked at 20 to 7 on a Sunday night. So right. everybody everybody saw it, because the only other things that were on the telly at the time, three channels, were The Money Programme and Songs of Praise. Yeah. So I got more well, fanboys. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I think a bit later on, but it was. It was kind of, you know, it, it, was, it was in a time slot where everybody watched it. Yeah. And... Uh, it was fascinating because it was quite uncut and it, and it was all based on the findings of the Skarman report after the riots of 1981. And the right. reason they chose Manchester was that Thatcher's reform, well, well, Thatcher's you know policies of lifting tariffs on on a you know a, a textile imports and manufacturing goods, had destroyed our industry at in Manchester. So Manchester went from a place of quite high employment for young yeah. people. To virtually no employment for anyone between the ages of sixteen and twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was just talking about stuff like you know, the, you know, the riots, uh, and it was you know the high high levels of what youth unemployment, uh, the SUS laws, which are kind of coming back again. Uh, yeah. You know, nuclear weapons, blah, 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 all sorts of stuff, you know. And then, then, you know, fascinating for people to watch because someone would tune in and see some lad from Hardwick going, the trouble with you when you go to school here eh, is you don't learn you nothing. <laughs> 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 yeah, that is great. that is great Sunday evening viewing. And then because, I, because as you know, you know, me being ex-Saint Beads and very well read and articulate. Uh, as <laughs> we all are, as we all are. I was accused of being a plant, a Trotskyist plant.
1: Blimey! Well, I mean th- that that whole thing. I mean, we could, you could get into that whole thing of like working class intelligence because that's something that ties into the fall and Mark. I think that idea that oh, you well be, done, you now, be, Thank you very much. You <laughs> can be firmly working class but still highly intelligent and not that you know. And it seems to be now that it's harder. People don't believe it anymore. I don't know why.
0: I think. I, I, I think. I think the last people that anyone's able to pick on are the working classes. I mean, I basically had it for forty years working in the media. Um, yeah. You know, because it's kind of you're lauded and then you're never judged on your CV. So you know, you know, it, it, you know, it, it kind of gets so it gets you down a bit. What was fascinating about Marquis Smith for me when I met him? Because I mean, the Fall, you you've got to remember there are loads of other bands around that I kind of preferred because I liked to tune back in the day, and I was hey. never a fan of stuff like what are you I, was never, I was never a fan of stuff like Captain Beefheart. But then I hate I remember, Captain Beefheart hated Captain Beefheart. I remember I, you, I, remember I loved like uh, Totally Wired, so I bought that. Then I bought How I Wrote the Elastic Man. And then when I went to Derby, I remember uh, thinking, you oh, know, I can afford it now. So I bought Lie Dream of a Casino Soul, you know, right. which had you know, come out fairly recently. But then I remember one of the first times I interviewed Mark and, we, and I was chatting to him about the, the song Lie Dream of a Casino Soul. And I said, the guy who did the Northern Soul slot on my show on BBC Radio Derby, Dave Evison. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like the ex-Wing cas- Casino, the oldies DJ there. Yeah. When I said to him, oh, have you heard this? He said, heard it. He said, I bought three copies of it in case it becomes worth some at one day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, never, you never actually listened to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no that, it's, still <laughs> got them. That yeah. actually tickled Mark. I mean, ironically, that's probably truer, but it's worth about 30
1: quid now, isn't it? <laughs> Tell me about it. Some of them records, there was one came up the other day, and it was like...
3: Yeah. Ridiculous, wasn't it, wasn't yeah. it? Because I've got, I've got nothing. Have you, Steve? £150 or something it was going Oh, which one was that? It was, uh, I can't remember what it was now. This Nation's Saving Grace. First what? Pr- first pressing or something.
0: Oh, my God. You see, I mean, the, the weird thing is, because once I started work, working on BBC Radio Derby from 82 and then I interviewed... nothing. Him. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I've I got everything of yours for now. From then on, you know, up until the mid-90s. Um, yeah. So it was you no, know, probably the late nineties, and, and even then, I'd still get Chuck stuff, you know, like "Are oh, You Are Missing Winner?" and I mean, they, they seem avalanche out about two a year, or it seemed to me later on down the line. Yeah. But so I would have said that the, the fullest catalogue of any band, other than maybe Curtis Mayfield, that I had, but I never had his singles, was the four. Yeah, so, you know, incidentally, almost, and and in some ways, it's only maybe been the last ten years or so that I've started to go, oh yeah, they're really good, aren't they? I mean, you know, I always liked, I always liked you, but I found, I found some of the, the, the live experiences hard work. Like, uh, I mean, it was a great gig at the Blue Note Club on the Hex Induction Tour. So that was the first night, you know, Mark Smith came in on our radio show, uh, puked up in a waste paper basket because he said he'd eaten some rotten bacon, and then was, <laughs> on like, then was on for like 30 minutes. And we even played the classical. Well, you could play what you wanted on the radio in those days, and then then me and the, this girl who helped out on the show, Ros Vexy, we went over to the Blessington, which is a pub across the road, very nice, director's pub, real ale, and uh, settled in there with Mark till about 10 o'clock, cos he didn't need to do sound checks, that's what you lads did.
1: Well, well he, might, he might grace us his five minutes, you know, shout, <laughs> shouting well, at I, the sound man, but it was an extensive experience sound checking for, with Mark, normally.
0: Yeah, well, well, he did say that, but but you know when he's had a few drinks and he was there chatting about you know say you know I'd, I'd die for the lads, I'd die for those lads, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, goes,
1: yeah, great. You know, <laughs> In he nearly did know, a couple of times. I'd do anything for the lads. I'd die yeah. for them. You know what I mean? Well, that was that X induction hour tour was probably the the closest that lineup were. It kind of it kind of t- tapered off towards the end of that year, but when we did X induction hour, we were we were pretty. Pretty tight then, weren't we, Steve?
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, everybody loved that gig. And, and again, I was like, wow. Because I, I mean, I'd seen you before and you were really good uh, at Tiffany's uh, when it was, it was you, the distractions, and it, the things were built. So either we arrived too late and missed them because, again, they were a Liverpool band, weren't they? But John Marr, who I'd gone to school with, you know, primary and secondary school, yeah. uh, he, he he was supposed to be playing with them. And I don't know if they even played that night. You know, the, obviously, that was a great a great night, though, and a great gig. Are you sure, it that, was wasn't, all, are you sure that wasn't the things that John Marr was you know, playing with? Yeah. No, no, he was supposed to be, yeah. But I don't know if they turned up on the night, because right. when we arrived, it was the distractions, then you. But Where that was, it, was t- it It was at Tiffany's in town, so above Rafters. But it was bigger, or was it Fagans? It was one of them. Yes, Fagans, because yeah. I remember you, you were virtually all just spread out on the floor in front of us. It didn't seem to be much of a well, stage there. There no
1: stage in there. Well, that gig, the, that gig we played with the Distractions, that was the first two-drummer gig, that. That was the first time yeah. we did it. So we didn't really yeah. know what the hell we were doing.
0: But that, I think that was all the gro- time the of grotesque,
1: because, you know, with... Yeah. with uh, just just slightly later than that, but, yeah, that was that, that, t- that Frank... F- fagin's gig was the first two drummer gig and then that obviously that overlapped next year we did x induction hour
0: yeah that's right because it was 81 but well, i did think wow they're a really good band they're really good now
1: yeah i think we were better live. i think we were better live then than some of the records i think i think Wait,
0: it. I, I, it's hard to say you know because obviously you know I, I mean i remember i did have grotesque on a cassette you know someone had taped it for me yeah had that, you know, so again, you know, a lot of stuff you, you'd catch up with later because the amount of products you put out, you know, until I was like working at Radio Derby and, you know, and earning money and then obviously I got a lot of records for free, you know, and I was an expert at tracking down all the stuff that I wanted. So all the labels that you happen to be with, I had good relationships with, you know, with like people like Terry Hollingsworth at Beggars, you know, the guys at Rough Trade, you know, Brenda Kelly when she ran the sort of the Independent Label Association. Uh, you know, and I, I used to get, you know, sorted out for like, you know, uh, reggae labels like the fashion label in London and Greensleeves and all that, you know, so I was yeah. a real hustler. I was a real kind of scrounger like that.
1: Yeah. So how long were you at Dar- Lady or Darby then? Uh, six and a half years, so, but
0: I mean, it was it was good for me because it, it it was kind of almost all my ambitions were fulfilled anyway. Because I had my own radio show that was very groundbreaking. It had won two national Sony Radio Awards, you know, for the best specialist music show. Yeah. Uh, I got into all the gigs free within that massive area. Put gigs on myself, including you, lot, uh, uh, Tiffany's um, in Derby uh, on Babington Lane. That was July eighty three.
1: They weren't all called Tiffany's, that's two Tiffany's
0: done. I maybe I'm getting Fagans and Tiffany's mixed up, but it was definitely Tiffany's in Derby because it was quite a big space. And um we we put you on there and put this uh, put, put this local band who were a bit like a, a third rate version of the birthday party called Canker Opera on supporting you. And uh it was the first time I'd ever met Bricks because she she wasn't in the band, but she was hanging around with Mark backstage. And Mark had gone from being really friendly to me with to, towards me to being a little bit cutting because he thought that I hadn't sorted the BBC out to pay you enough, and uh, your rider wasn't great, and you'd been put right. up in the Friary Hotel, which was okay, but it was you know it was all of this kind of stuff. And then uh, and then he punched the lead singer Nick Jackson in the face oh, what, out why? of uh, because apparently the, the, he was being accused of stealing, stealing uh, his cigarettes. And what was great was as I walked in to say hello to Mark, Nick Jackson was walking past me going, don't talk to me about the effing industrial estate. You are the industrial estate. Which is a bit crazy, it sounded funny. <laughs> 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 not
3: the best insult, I suppose. No,
0: no but with well, Derby that was quite good. <laughs> it's not a natural thing with, the, with, with with the locals there, you know, that kind of...
1: Repartee, so that but well, that wasn't bad, really. Hey, well, uh, that that was well, it kind of got up to be a bit like Mark Cavendish, but he wasn't normally.
3: No, I don't remember
1: hitting anybody. Do you, was No, not then. No, no it, it was
0: just him. So it was like, uh, so it was it, it was backstage. I just remember that that he was moaning a bit about the rider. And yeah, well, he, yeah and, and then out. then the then the, the fags had been stolen, and I think he'd run out of fags or something. So that, that was it. That was the first glimmer I got of that side of him. I mean, but it was all right. I, I wasn't bothered. You know, it wasn't me. It
1: was it. No. So so he went a bit. He went a bit off with him. But you, you you got on with him very well over the years, so didn't you? I think.
0: Well, well, yeah. Well, I mean, well, the weird thing is, is because I really admired him because the one thing I never had was that level of massive confidence. Um, you know, that, you know, I always needed, you know, I'm the fourth of six kids. I always needed a certain amount of validation. Oh, that was funny, Terry. Oh, that was good, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, like, Mark didn't need that validation. Nobody, he didn't need anyone to tell him he was great, did he? He nope. sort of just felt like he was, which is very unusual for anybody who's working class. I mean, obviously, it could be bordering on, on narcissism. Yeah. I mean, Tony Wilson was like that as well. But, you know, Tony Wilson, was, was a, it was a different form of thinking he was great to marx i mean what, what i did like about mark though was that he was very observant about stuff and he could see he could often see through to it through all the or well, it seemed to me at that age he could see through all the bull to yeah. what was at the center of it yeah. um yeah. but we used yeah. to argue about politics we used to chat about stuff have a laugh about stuff he used to really take the mickey out of me all the time you know when, when i'd interview him about uh, the fact that I'd, once i'd had two pints I could never remember the names of, of your weird songs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so thought, oh, well, you know, on uh, the the, the, uh, uh, the hotel, uh, Boudel, and he'd be going, oh, God, again, you know what I mean? Really, so sort of, he, liked, he liked the opportunities to be able to take the piss yeah. and the fact that I, I would find it funny anyway. But our normal our normal kind of semi-pub crawl, because what i do is every time you, you release a new album, so the first time we did it was uh, Room to Live, and uh, so I, I I rang up. Kay Carroll set it up. And uh, so I met him w- with a tape recorder. You were tape recorder, you know, really heavy, uh, yeah. which was like BBC Standard Issue, in Tommy Duck's in Manchester. Saturday lunchtime, midday, chucked a few down in there. You know, green old Whitley's bitter. Yeah, then we went to the uh, Britain's Protection and uh, had a few in there. Then at, then at three o'clock when they booted us out, we went to Effie's that Turkish place in, uh, oh, yeah. in St. Peter's Square. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I had, like, kebab and chips, and then we went and ended up for some weird reason. <laughs> I think I was getting a, No, no, I was staying at my mum's that night. Uh, ended up uh, in the beer keller on the approach road. At, like, oh, yeah. no, at fact, or whenever they opened up again. That was a rough <laughs> house. That was... Well, I mean, I, you never thought of that. I mean, it's hard to think of places being a rough house when you're from, you know, when you're from like Brooks Bar, like me. Yeah. And I mean, that sure it's not that soft. How can you go around thinking that's a rough house? No. But even then, even then,
3: did you actually get an interview in between all that?
0: Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. And I, I, I used to feel about, I mean, I, you know, I'm so gutted I haven't gotten because I do some fantastic yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I think takes I Used to get well, not outtakes because we just put it out there. I remember once asking him about there was stuff in the press saying that Robert Smith out The Cure didn't like him, and you know, Morrissey had just come out and said he didn't like him. And I was saying, Well, what do you think of that? He said, Well, you know, as far as uh, Robert, Cures, uh, Robert Robert Smith's uh, uh concerned, he said, um, he said, This is probably just something you know that, that he's heard, heard about him. He said, But I don't, I don't, I don't, I like him anyway. And then he said, As for Morrissey. He goes, he goes again. This is just something he's heard from people around him that I don't like him, so he doesn't like me. Uh, I've never said any such thing. And and I said to him, So, what do you think of Morrissey? Then he said, Well, he said that as far as I'm concerned, he's just a fucking paranoid. Nice. He's just a boy, George, with short hair. (laughs) (laughs) We'll beep that, Teddy. Yeah, well, (laughs) it doesn't make any difference. That, That went out on BBC Radio Derby
1: back in 1982. Wow. Well, I mean, you really, least, know, if you could if you could play the classical, I'm sure that uh, you know that yeah,
0: nobody, nobody cared in those days. When you were doing a, a, a program that was on the fringes, the first couple of records would put off anyone who would complain, and then you were just allowed to get on with it, you know. So you know, and our producers didn't care either, you know. So we'd we, we every every song we played had F in and jeffing and all sorts in. It was a proper show, mate, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there, there is that thing. Sorry, Steve. I was going to say you're back on there now, are you?
0: Well, no, I just did uh, five shows for the fortieth anniversary. Um, so I, I did actually play. I think I played Kicker Conspiracy by the four, but I mean we played loads of four on that show because we were on you know five nights a week. Then it went to four nights a week, but along the show. So, you know, the the all, all those Manchester bands were our staples really. Yeah. Well, you know, for me because obviously even in a place like Derby, it's something that's cool and not from London. So there was always a lot of Liverpool bands around, a lot of Manchester bands, you know, in, in the 80s that, that were of interest. And then we play like, you know, jazz funk imports, you know, reggae prees, we play all sorts. Yeah.
1: So, 'cause you, you that, that was a kind of a crossover thing that, that uh, I don't think that many people would do I mean I know Peel did it a bit, but playing black music and white music alongside each other i don't I don't think you get it quite so much now do you
0: well i well, well, I mean the kind of stuff that that we played you know you, you've got to remember I bought in other specialists, so I had an Norman soul slot, I had a guy, Devin Daly, who did our jazz funk and would play all the new the new you know black music that was coming out at the time with it was electro hip hop house garage, so we had all of that, and it was almost like me going to university, so I learnt off these people, and I always had a very eclectic taste in music anyway, I mean, to me, I, I don't do genres, you know, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, there's only two genres, good and bad, yeah. and I'm not interested in anything watered down or messed about with, you know, I hate it when they go, well, it's a kind of like, you know, um, Afro-Celt jazz fusion, I go, well, I'm going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> a bit of, of Afro-Celt jazz fusion, well, it's not the same well, I like a bit of Afro. I like a tiny bit of jazz. Yeah. Not into the fusion bit, oh. you know what I mean. And I'm into <laughs> the Celtic stuff, but I'm not into the fusion. I, I like I like it as it is. You know what I mean. So, yeah. uh, and on the funk side, you know, I was always like a bit. You know, uh, you know, I love going out. We we used to go to places like Rotters went to Legends in the old days. You know, in uh, Manchester when Friday Saturday night, it'd be all like great music. You know, all the kind of uh, jazz funk stuff that they play at Wigan Pier. You know, it's like early Cameo Maze. Yeah. Um, you know, well, um, uh, slave. I never pleasure. made, I never made
1: that cross from from rafters to rotters. I must oh, admit, as,
0: as a bass player, right? As a bass player, you know, Steve would have loved all that stuff like "Pleasure," "Glide by," "Pleasure," "Aura," "Slave." I mean, that the bass lines in those songs were, were the best. Right? We'll take your word for that, Terry. Send them, yeah. I will send you links. Yeah, yeah. Get educated. It's never yeah, too yeah.
1: late. Never too late to educate, yeah. them. No. Okay.
0: you would be at a join a certain
1: ratio. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about certain ratio with, with somebody. We were talking about the Manchester music scene. It being a bit sort of everyone was a bit standoffish with each other. I mean, apart from Buscox, who sort of helped everybody, nobody else seemed to like each other that much. Like you know, New Order and uh, Certain Ratio and the fall. Everyone kind of kept each other at arm's length a bit, which is was well, difficult. I'm not, I'm not. Which was difficult to do because we all used the same PA company.
0: <laughs> and you'd all end up drinking in the same places. Yeah, yeah. You? And,
1: and, and the yeah. thing is certain ratio are the nicest bunch of people in the world when you meet them like oh, years later.
0: Yeah, well, well they were weird. I remember uh, when I first moved to Derby, uh, new order played in the February. But obviously, you knew that they weren't going to do interviews, but I didn't know you had to set interviews up. So when a certain ratio played, I just went toddling down there with a Ewa tape recorder, and then after they came off stage and went backstage said, Hi, I'm Terry from the BBC, I'm here to do an interview. And right. they were going... You know, so they talked to me phrases, but they, they talked to me phrases about why they didn't do interviews, you know, the yeah. philosophy behind it all, which didn't, didn't sound very convincing to me, you know. And I was arguing, saying, well, that just sounds like rubbish, you know. I'm from a council estate in, like, Brooks, Barber. I've only been at the BBC about two months. I'm not exactly, you know, Steve Wright in the afternoon. I'm not even sure he was on you know, it. You know, I'm not anyone famous. I so said, I'm down here because I'm a fan and I play your stuff and you won't give me an interview, why not? And then eventually they got down to this thing and, uh, and said, look, you know, we're just we're, we're just for the people. And I went, so if you're for the people, how come you're playing in the most exclusive club in Derby, the Blue Note, and charging £3.50 a ticket?
1: £3.50 in them days? That's a lot of money,
0: that. To get in. And this this club, the the Blue Note, was 90p a pint in those days, which was more expensive than anywhere in Manchester. Anyway, and then some bloke who I've seen sort of tour managing New Order and all those over the years, you know, his face, he just looked at me and said, listen, they told you, they're not doing a fucking interview, so now, (laughs) fuck off. But in a really threatening manner. Right. So I did so I did, and then the next day, furious about my undermining of my BBC status, <laughs> I rang up the factory offices, and this bloke's on the line, and he's saying, okay. He said, right, he said, well, look, he said, uh, he said, listen, and I told him the story, you know, in all my outrage about, you know, I'm the man of the people, not them playing for £3.50 in an exclusive <laughs> club. And he went, he went, listen, he said, I know who you are, and I was like, oh, you know, a bit taken about." I said, yeah. And he said, "And I don't know what your problem is. And I said, well, what's that? He said, you've got too much to fucking say. <laughs> 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 "Rob, Rob. Rob and, and he'd been in my big brother's class at St. Beeds. Right.
1: Okay. Back in the day. So, I, didn't, anyway. I, didn't, I didn't know Rob went to Beeds as well, did he?
0: Yeah, but he left in the fifth year. So he was one of the withinshore mobs. So our Tony's best mates were these two brothers, the Hennessys, he used to play in like a Cayley band, and they were from withinshore. Right. And then another lad called uh, Mike, was it Mike Doyle or Steve Doyle? It, uh, it was from Withingshaw as well. So they used to all come on, on a special bus from Withingshaw to Beads every day. Uh, but but anyway, so after that, I, I actually got put on the mailing list for all the factory record stuff. Right. And Alan Erasmus even drove down to Derby twice to hand deliver stuff to me. Blimey. Well, I know, think- covers rubbish records You know <laughs> but, um, mm.
1: I think was were slightly badly Burned by interviews weren't they I don't think they were very good at it when they started So I think they got kind of set up as
0: Well, well of- I, mean, I mean They weren't doing them at all In that era um, I, I, The first time I did an interview with them Was uh, I interviewed Barney for Technique and he was sound Yeah he was alright
3: But George Wilson didn't do interviews did they
0: Right. Uh, I, I, again, I mean, I mean, it's be, before my time, and 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 again with, with Joy Division, I wasn't like uh, a massive fan. In fact, I've still got the cassette where I recorded unknown pleasures that I borrowed off a mate of mine, and on the other side was like reggae hits, but it's all like you know the old Scar ones, like Young Gifted and Black, right, and the right, okay. So what's so all there? You've go, all got two albums, all fitting on one nice Memorex uh, C ninety. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, well, I mean, to be fair, you know, from listening to that, then I got I got into Joy Division a bit, but I was never like that massive fan of theirs. I mean, you know, I liked them and I liked those individual tracks, but you know, I, I remember I, I saw them supporting the Buzzcocks at uh, the Apollo, and again, mm-hmm. I, I thought they're a bit like they reminded me of like the sort of bands that punk was all about getting rid of. Really? That, well, well, that yeah. was the Joy Division, wasn't
1: it? Supporting <laughs> Buzzcocks no, at the Apollo. But,
0: yeah, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Because the, the songs went on a bit too long, and it was like, do you know what I mean? It was like, you know, the, and it didn't sound like that record. Did it was all like a bit heavy metalish. I was going to say that. Yeah, they weren't
3: all that drumming and what have you. Yeah. They were on record, live. These
0: were, were, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, they were quite powerful, but it was like, mm, this is a bit uncomfortable. This might be like watching, you know, one of those rock bands that we're not supposed to like anymore. It was a very strange era to grow up in, especially when you were like. Teenage, I remember like everyone moaning about uh the strangler saying, Oh, and he's 27, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Anybody over the age of only anyone over the age of 21, you know, should have be, you know, been euthanized.
3: Well, you see, I,
1: I've got this theory, that's,
3: sorry, that sorry. Is funny. that's funny because I it was like that when you're in a band, I always thought. I'm gonna to have to give this up by the time I'm thirty. I can't be in a band when I'm thirty. That's way too old.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the weird thing was it, it was anyone anyone was old if they were if you happened to be white, unless you we're Lou Reed, yeah. <laughs> And then, but it was okay to be a black guy and be in your thirties. You know what I mean? Like Bobby Bland or whatever, James Brown. Yeah, you know, well, in his forties probably at that time. But you know, you know, so it was it was kind of weird like that. But yeah, it did. It did redefine this idea of what is what is and isn't cool, yeah. and that became really important for about five years. And looking back on it, you think, "Oh God, it's so geeky."
1: Yeah. Well, I've I've got this theory that people of Steve's age and slightly older pretended that they didn't like stuff pre nineteen seventy six that it was all crap. Whereas people who were ma- of my age, who was slightly younger, believed that shite and ended up, yeah. you know, just, just <laughs> listening to. You know, new wave. Whereas they were saying, "Oh no, it's all shit that went before." But they all said, "I'll add, you know, billion-dollar babies and uh, all the uh, Bowie albums yeah. and Roxy music and everything else stashed behind the latest uh, jam <laughs> album."
0: Well, to be fair, Alice Cooper, well, well, you know, was uh, was all right. I always liked to, I was I tried to learn the harmonic a bit of Generation Landslide. And then, uh, <laughs> what is it? And, and then, then, obviously, you know, that other stuff wasn't it. The stuff that was uncool at the time was Pink Floyd, you know yeah. what I mean? That's Not Genesis. Sid Barrett stuff. Genesis, mm. yes. Uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac, when rumours came out. You know, how harshly people were judged. Meatloaf, God yeah. rest his soul. It's you know, if, cool, you, if yeah. you like... If you were 18 or 19 and in a meatloaf, you were given a wide berth when I was oh, at college. Um, Hotel California by the Eagles, you were going, okay, you know, we quite like Take It to the limit. still a great song, but come on, Johnny yeah. Come late and you know, all that stuff. Get a life, mate. And it was always kids from <laughs> the burbs. And as for when Supertramp Breakfast in America came out, I mean, I know it's not genuine offence, but I felt like it should have been. So, yeah, there was prejudice against, oh, Genesis, seconds out was follow you follow me oh my god
1: i mean it's a brilliant song i I don't care follow you follow me is a fantastic song Uh, okay yeah yeah. right yeah unless you had to
0: hear it you've got to remember though you know all those songs on the fleetwood mac album rumors were fantastic songs but it was played to death you were virtually you were hearing it every time you switched the radio on in those days you know you 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 know your ears were kind of Bleeding from it, yeah. So it was like you know, sometimes you, you know, you can get to, you can literally get too much of a good thing. And the police were the, were the same. And then I started to hate Blondie because I started DJing seventy eight, seventy nine at Poly And if any, and so when I was just doing the music in in what was the cellar bar at this teacher training college where I was staying, if anyone came up and asked me for the police or Blondie, I'd give them a Marky e. Smith style reply.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the. We've talked about this on the podcast before, and it's kind of similar to what you're saying, just how important music was to people. It was your whole life in a lot of ways. It defined everything about you.
0: Well, of course, it's it's, it's almost like what it was your touching with culture because you've got to remember that it's from... Music and the music you like. So, someone like Mark, then he'd talk about books and he'd talk about this. And t- so then you go, oh, I might have a read of that. Oh, I'll have a listen to them. I remember him uh, asking him, you know, what stuff he was listening to at the time. And he, and he put me on to Felt. Right. And oh, all yeah. that stuff on the Zig label. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know and and so he, he was always interesting like that or he'd be talking about you know certain certain books that he'd read or he was reading at the time and you know i mean it made you think yeah well i will be cool and I'll, I'll carry and i was always a big reader anyway so you know you kind of hit on that level i think everyone really in that era was a reader because you know there were three channels and there was nothing on the telly at night you know what i mean once you know it, it finished early so you'd always be reading something. It wouldn't necessarily be, be great or you know high powered stuff, but it be you know even you know all those sort of conspiracy theories stuff. Like all the anti vaxxers. Imagine if you bought out Chariot of the Gods now. <laughs> <laughs> be, they've all got their equivalent,
1: think, yeah, you yeah. know. they? didn't it? And it was, that. was God an astronaut? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. seven, seven million, seven million yeah. copies or yeah. something a- mad like that. And it's a pot hole at Is was this a primi- Was this a, la- a run- landing runway for alien craft? And there's a photograph. Yeah, yeah,
0: Nazca plane or whatever. It's
1: three four across that picture.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember it just across from us, from, from Old Trafford Library on Stretford Road. Somebody had put the, the uh, graffiti there. If God was an astronaut, what does that make Neil Armstrong? Okay. <laughs> hey that's a bit that's deep, deep for me deep, yeah. very, very deep for Old Trafford I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in our, in our yeah, local yeah. Pub, in the pub quiz they'd hold up an orange and say what colour is that
1: <laughs> but you know the colours named after the fruit did you know that <laughs> it is so if you if you look at, if you look at Robin Redbreasts yeah they're orange oh. but they didn't have the word orange the, the, the colour orange is named after the fruit not the other way around Oh, and people,
0: yeah, people would have gathered round to have a look at it. Yeah, yeah. what we'll be like after Brexit, won't we, in a few oh, years? Jesus Christ. Really? But you still to buy these? <laughs> I was going to
1: mention, I mean, it's nothing really to do with the fall, but it's. how do you find the energy to engage with these Brexit
3: people on Twitter like that,
0: yeah? Uh, do you know what? A lot of it is like doodling in the margin when I've got more important things to do. Uh, part of it is a certain, it's a bit like other people do Sudoku, you know, to keep the brain sharp. Yeah. And then also, I, I've got that kind of pointless belligerence in me. And I, you know, whether it comes from that kind of Irish thing or just, you know, a lifetime of slights, real or imagined, you know, I get triggered. I've done therapy, mate, you know.
1: Yeah, well, you need it. If looking by some of the, some of the, uh, Rabbit holes—you disappear down with some of them fucking idiots.
0: I know, but it is quite funny. You know, it, it, it does amuse me at times. But yeah, sometimes I do think, "Oh God, why have i bothered?" It can't be good for you. It can't be what? good for you. They're, they're denser than a neutron star, aren't they?
1: <laughs> well, that's a, that's another thing. Bring it again, bringing it back to the fall, and and, and the, what Mark did very well with his with his politics—he never got specific about. Stuff so you could never pin stuff like you could on Morrissey, you know, like stupid anti-European beliefs and Brexit and all that. And but Mark's sort of political view was that nebulous. He never got called out for anything, did he?
0: Well, well, he used to like like to annoy everyone. So That's right, you know, obviously he wouldn't slag me off for being, you know, I mean, I was very far left at the time. uh But then he, he talked about going on B fifteen. Uh, which is like a youth program on Radio One with Adrian Love on, and he was on with all like these students, and and this is what made him made him right, you know. Uh, what was the one with? Uh, was that the classical, uh, you know, tonight on the Fortress is about that oh, interview? So t- yeah, yeah, t- yeah. Tonight on the Vitamin B Glandula show, yeah. And uh, so he, he was talking about that, and he said when he went on, and all these kids, you know, and all had you know anarchy out of a bottle of air gel, and they're all got, <laughs> and they all said, "Well, on um, blah blah blah, you said that you didn't like the Americans," and he said. And, and he said he just wanted to spoil their party. So he's going, well, I've never said any such thing about, about the Americans. In fact, I, I, you know, I, I like the Americans and blah, blah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So going against them just to annoy them, and they were getting all, you know, kind of, mm. ah, how dare you not represent us? And he, and he said they were just trying to get him to attack the system for them, um, which he always felt was a big middle-class trait. Yeah. Uh, and that, there was always that. That feeling sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, when you, when you you'd meet certain people who are quite far left but from very posh backgrounds, is like, you know, the way they would talk about you as being working class is almost as if they wanted you to man the barricades for them. Yes. And when you didn't, they hated you, you know. Um, but, but, yeah, so he was interesting like that politically, Mark. You know, and we had a lot of, a lot of discussions about stuff like that. But I, I used to just love him going through all the, all the people in the charts at the time, slagging him off. Um, you know, like, like when, it, you know, you talk about um, Ian McCulloch out of, you know, Equal yeah. the Bunnymen And he, uh, he, got, he said, yeah, he said, well, you know, the, the, trouble with, uh, the trouble with him is he, he wants to be in the door. No, he thinks he's in the doors. <laughs> and um, what made me laugh was then when I was doing Key 103 in 88-89, McCulloch, puts out a solo single, a cover of People Are Strange. Yeah, I know. Out oh, he always, you told me that six years ago, five years ago, you said that about him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it would be, be quite amusing like that. Not the
3: worst crime, though, really. <laughs> no, no,
0: really? no, no. It was just quite funny, you know, as an observance that he'd make about who was copying yeah. who. Um, I remember talking about reggae, and he always said that his favourite reggae track at the time was um, Toots and the Maytals,
1: uh, She's my scorcher. Right. Okay.
3: Well,
1: only, you know, well he was a big, big reggae fan. Prince Far well,
0: um, you know, well, He, he likes old soul as well, you
1: know, and, he, he, and you know, and even when he did
0: "Lie Dream of the Casino Soul," when I was chatting to him about that, he, he, he kind of, even though he was attacking, you know, the, the sort of the whole thing about it, he, he actually quite liked the fact that it was there. It was something cultural for him to write about.
1: Definitely, he was a he was a bit of a Northern Soul fan, I think. Well, he was a culture. boxer. Yeah, I mean, he had that same kind of thing with working class where he was fond of it, but not afraid to slag it off, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, he he was quite funny because he would always try and be a little bit working class Tory with you and all that kind of stuff. But what, what I used to like about him was... Because obviously, everyone would be quite sudie. And I'd been at Polly in London, you know, with all your kind of semi beatnik types who were all into Susie and the Banshees. And, you know, they were the ones who got me into Joy Division and were always banging on about the fall and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the first experience you had of Manchester being a little bit cool. Mm. And uh, what was interesting is they always had problems with the mums and dads. And whenever whenever I met Mark, another you know, guy, one like, you know, 21, 22, and you've got any girls who got like this, you go, How, how's your mum? And I go, oh, yeah, she's fine, she's blah, 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 blah. But I, but I think it was almost like testing the waters to see if you were all right, you know, because there was a lot of those lads who, who would think they were trendy Going, go, oh, my mum and dad, God, what can I tell you? You know, it's just <laughs> hell a- you know, Oh, my God. They're, they're just so different to me.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, then it turns out with those middle-class people, they're exactly the same as the parents, aren't they, as it turns out. That's the thing. They think they're different, but it turns out they're all exactly the bloody same with each other. But I,
0: I suppose it. I suppose it was just. I mean, I suppose when I use you know a word like middle class in a pejorative way, yeah, what, what I mean was a certain attitude. You know, you, there was a certain attitude amongst people like that. We were a little bit spoilt, yeah, and, a li- and very and very jealous. They always seem to be extremely jealous of other people, you know. And it's kind of whereas I just had that good old fashioned working class resentment. <laughs> yeah. much, it's a much
1: healthier thing to carry on your shoulder, yeah. isn't it? But, but, you
0: know, I, mean, I mean, it is and it isn't. You know, at least my resentment, <laughs> my resentment
1: <laughs> wasn't envy. Let me tell you about my resentment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Well, but, but, but the thing about what <laughs> we were touching about, about, Mark, is that liberating thing of not giving a fuck what anybody thought of you. I yeah,
0: actually, uh, I mean... Yeah. It, it, <laughs> It, I mean, it, it was. I mean, it was, and it was kind of. But, but, but then he didn't give it after a while. You know, I remember like I'd no. seen it, right? he had he, a
3: great. He, he had a great life in that way, in the fact that he never answered to anybody.
0: No, I mean yeah. the weird thing is he sent me like Christmas cards. Yeah, you know what I mean. You know, d- d- to my mum's house in Old Trafford, you know, the council house. And I remember coming back for Christmas, nineteen eighty-three, and there is a card there, and it was like uh, that. Um, is it Wayne, Wainwright, and it's all sheep in a field, and he, and he, 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 and he, he put inside it, you know, because he knew it was working on Radio Derby. Obviously, it was like a, uh, the population of Derby uh, discussed the effects of brine nylon on the local economy. I wish I'd kept it, but it was kind of made you feel a little bit special. Yeah. And even though he always had his phone number, I, I didn't want to – Use it because I thought, why would he want to talk to me? And yet, then when I ended up working on the telly and everything, he was like, oh, you know, as if I'd, I hadn't spoken to him for years. But I was thinking, I didn't know you wanted to be my mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? He was like okay, meant,
1: yeah. we'll, well, I mean, with that you were saying about the the fall being popular. We were kind of well, certainly when I was in the band, there was never any kind of thing that look at look at, aren't we great? You know, and people really like us. That that was like. And it was, it
3: never. Was, that was never discussed at all. No. N- never. Never discussed. Like, oh, there was so many people at that gig. This, you know, there was so many hundred that night, and it, isn't this going well or anything like that?
0: No. It, it would have seemed shallow, though I suppose, and, and in some ways that wasn't what you were about. You had that thing where everyone thought you were cool. You know, so everything, you know, because I remember like you know, um, interviewing Gavin Friday and he was talking about you know, how, you know how much you know he was into the fall and all the all the guys out of U two into the fall. And then when then when I was I was chatting to Markie Smith about it, it, said oh Gavin Friday said uh, blah blah blah. You know that you know that that he, he do see. You. So he said he well, said why why, why don't we give a shit whether he likes us
1: or not. <laughs> and that was a close personal friend. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. passing on
0: his good wishes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> sorry, sorry if yeah. somebody likes you. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It, it, in one way, it's massively liberating, but it's not something I, I, I couldn't. I, I can't imagine going through life not caring if people like me. You know, because the next thing of that is not being nice, isn't it? And because you, you're nice, because mm. you want people to like you. You know, so it's it's a difficult one to pull off. I think.
0: I don't know. I mean, I've—I was very badly influenced, I think, at a young age, by Mark, and I've been trying to pull back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're saying things for effect rather than what what you meant, you know. And I could never resist the urge to just say horrific things to people in you know in quite powerful positions.
1: Yeah, well, hoping that the Brexiteers all lose the job because you know that's what they voted yeah, for. No, and
0: no, 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 that that no, that's actually, that was actually a true story. So uh, there, there, there's a guy there's a there's a guy who does a lot of big building projects in Manchester, and then another guy that that ran a big IT company, and that's what they were doing. They were they were getting rid of uh, Brexiters because it was causing a downturn in in their business, and so all the guys had been walking around saying it's project fear they were laying them off first. So I thought that's good, you know. It's one of those. It's one of those, isn't it? You voted for it. You said you didn't mind short term pain suck it up and have it but then of course that, that isn't what they really want really. it's just a lot of right wing bluster isn't it you know it's a bit like you know, when, when they compare it to the the spirit of the blitz and all that and I always think mm, yeah that's fine the blitz spirit imagine if you were hunkered down with the bombs going off over your head in some shelter and the bloke next to you turned around and chuckled and went hey I voted for this <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, well I, I the other one I was thinking about was that, that you got into a bit of hot water with the va- anti vaxxers They should I mean I I know it was it was a joke wasn't it but uh, you've got to be careful
0: Yeah that was just poking the hornets nest do you know what I mean but uh, it, it's kind of one of those where you, you just think, where, where's all this kind of idiocy coming from? I've even, I've even got a really good mate of mine actually at the moment and he keeps sending me things on YouTube. I go, he's not a doctor, he's a doctor of philosophy. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is basically someone grifting for follows on YouTube. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like, like Nigel Farage, who once worked in medicine.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Nigel yeah. Farage, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, anti-establishment figure who went to private school, worked in the city, and then never done a day's work in his life. How he's managed to sell himself as anti-establishment, I don't know. Well, there's a few of them, though, isn't there?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well I was on a question time with Richard Tice, and, <laughs> you, know, and, and it, you know, he was the one who said that uh, leaving the EU would be simple. Yeah. So I said, everything's simple if you're a bit simple. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, he hated that, but, but it was like studying with Brexiters. This was in Darlington. And uh, the the report just come out of how bad it would be for the North East, Brexit. And uh, this bloke said, well, uh, you know, the media elite like you, Terry. And I was going, I'm the media elite from a council council house in Old Trafford, one of six kids. Meanwhile, you have got Richard Tice, who inherited, like, hundreds of millions off his dad. And he's now got a property empire worth about half a billion. But I'm the media elite. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but but
1: the Neutron Star. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of it about, and it's not getting any better, is it?
0: No, this no. I, but but again, you know, with, with, with the four, what, what's interesting now is that I go through and I think, where where have all my records gone? I've still got some of yours. I've still got Slates. Right. I've still got, um what is it, uh, This Nation's Saving Grace. I've still got uh, Part of America. And I right. still got totals turns. You've got all the other Paul, ones. to be and,
3: and Paul put together. Haven't you? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. I
0: mean, I don't know why, why why i flogged them all. I mean, I think I think a lot of them went went to King B, and then I gave some some away. But what what know another thing I never do. I never got Mark to autograph any of them. Can you imagine that? Even though I could go out drinking with him, I'd be terrified to think. Could you uh, could you just sign this? You know, it's, it's for my little sister. But well,
1: I mean is that why the? I, I think there was a whole thing where they weren't I mean I know there was, there's always been collectors and that but that the way people hold records in esteem now like it's you know is that was that ever the same is that not why they're worth money now because no one because no one had well, them, well, took care of them did they the same
0: well well, I think in my day although I was massively into music I was, I was interested in hearing it so whether I had it on CD on cassette I wasn't bothered as long as I had it to listen to so I, I wasn't kind of into, you know, like obviously the Northern Soul guys were different, yeah. you know, they, they were the ones who, who collected stuff and I believe, you know, the blokes who did the same with Old Blues, but that was it. So I was always interested in just having the record rather than, I mean, having, having the song mm-hmm. to be able to listen to. I mean, you know, for me, I mean, I remember, you know, going through record shops like Paper Chase and Robinsons and all that in Manchester back in the day spending whole days in there i didn't even have it i you know i just about had enough to get me uh, my bus fare home but mm. just for the kind of joy of going through them all and looking at you know these bands yeah. who only in the last four years have, I, have I even bothered to find out what they sounded like you know like molly hatchet and you know <laughs> you know all these great great covers you know atomic yeah. rooster quicksilver messenger service and you go i wonder yeah. what they sound like that looks really good that cover you know what I mean, and you know with all the Roger Dean posters and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it was just different, you know. It, you know that, that's why we found out about records by a mate lending you, and album. Yeah. or you yeah, talk yeah. to me. Oh, Elton John is rubbish. Going, oh rubbish. Go, no, no, we are. And then the next day he brings in a copy of like you know Goodbye Yellow Brick Road or Caribou, you know. And then you've got to bring it home and listen to it so that you can tell him what you think the next day.
1: Yeah, you know. Weird. I know it's a it's all a bit jumpers for goalposts, isn't it? But I think you value music more when it was harder to get hold of, I think. Do you know what
0: well, well, yeah, I mean? Yeah, you do. I mean, that's that the weird thing that I say to my kids. I said, The thing is for you, I said, you can, you can access just about any song you want now, you know, and especially on YouTube. That's the yeah. place. Oh, are you? Yeah. Spotify is still huge gaps on. I said, But I said, in our day, we just, we won't have even heard the record. We'd just heard about a record and you'd have to find it or find someone who knew it. I mean, that's why I had a Northern Soul slot on my my Radio Derby show. Every week I've got this guy coming in, bringing in stuff that I could never afford, or even hear or heard about. And then you'd ask him about a certain song, and he'd go, "No, it's rubbish." That, and I said, "Well, I've heard it's really good." He said, "Those are people who don't know about this about the scene." <laughs> 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 on the, the northern scene, there were the ones who were into the proper soul content, you know, like yeah. you know, like your Richard Servins, you know, people like Guy Hennigan later on down the line, who was strictly strictly all sixties, you know, people who understood what, what was what was big in the clubs. And then you get the other ones; it was just almost like semi-novelty records or anything that he could dance to or yeah. anything that might pass over. So, yeah, it was interesting like that. This is going to be really boring to people out there, isn't it? No, <laughs> not at all, not at all. He, he, out about Northern Soul, but, I mean, yeah, just, just all that. You know, that's why I love that radio show I did in Derby, because yeah. I could find out about jazz funk, I could find out about Northern Soul... I was I, I was quite good with reggae anyway, you know, because I, I grew up in an area, you know, where you know our street was basically you're either Irish or centre Jamaican, you know, so yeah. it was like, you know, we all had guilt, but we love reggae, yeah, and that was it, you know, because you, you heard it, you heard it coming through the walls from the age of four, yeah. and uh, so you know, you just learned even more about it, you know, and then I ended up managing a reggae band in the mid eighties, funnily enough. I believe so.
3: well, there you
0: yeah. go. yeah, yeah, got. got Got them signed to Chrysalis, uh, Junior C Reaction twelve piece band X Pressure Shocks now they were a band back in the day. Don't remember uh, that. Well, it was well, amazing managing a twelve piece
3: band. Well, well, I
0: mean, I mean, I mean, it wasn't. It would have been, would have been, would have been even harder if they'd allowed me to manage them properly. Um, especially since uh, the, the the core of the main three were all in their early thirties, and the rest of <laughs> were all that's four piece horn section but they were absolutely superb. Right. Were an amazing, amazing band.
1: You can't. They can't have made much
0: with twelve of them. No. <laughs> well, no. But, but the thing is, they got they got they got, a, they, got a, they got signed to Chrysalis. Uh, they released two singles. When they did their own, you know, their own label, one, "Cry Jehovah," Love and Emotion." Peel played "Cry Jehovah." Janice Long played "Love and Emotion." And a little place like Derby, that was that was big. You know, it, it's similar to the Commitments, in a way, when you watch that, you know, the ripples, they leave there, although mm-hmm. they never put a record out, you know, but, but it's like, it was like that, especially especially for the black area in Derby, Normington. Yeah. There was ne- there was never a band from Manchester, who, who a reggae band, who got signed to a major, except for Harlem Spirit, that one single, Demo
1: Sussing the Moss. Yeah, blimey. Yeah, t- speaking yeah. about, t- talking, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing that. Christ almighty, that was everywhere, that song. Brilliant, brilliant song. Yeah, great, really good. Yeah. But I'm I think it, it was like the one Manchester reggae single, wasn't it? So everywhere you went, they played it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Exodus, uh, uh, English Black Boys was out, but it wasn't quite. It was a bit too slow, and uh, you know, obviously, with the with the lyrics of Demosuss uh, in the Moss, about the yeah. sus Laws, mm-hmm. and then like only just over a year after it came out, you had like uh, the riots, didn't you, in Moss Side, and yeah. one, one of the, one of the clauses of it was the Suss Laws, yeah, of course. Yeah, I say they, did, they weren't warned. No. Indeed, great, great record, though in the Moss.
1: Yeah. So we're just about to wrap up. So I was just going to ask you, when was the last time you saw Mark? Then before, when would that
3: um, have been?
0: I don't know. I mean, it, it might have been hanging around with with Ed Blaney. Oh um, yeah. Just the, the last time I interviewed him was uh, just when he'd done that England streaming, you know, with a oh. uh, shuffle bottom. So we were in uh, the Atlas Bar for about, God, you know, three hours, right. you know, like half an hour was the interview and the rest of it was just chatting and drinking and then uh, of course he, he was big mates with my mate Johnny J right um, you say you hadn't heard of but he produced the Dose single that yeah, he did exactly. and, it, and him and Mark got on really well because well you Johnny didn't
3: know him Mark, Steve would you yes I know him yeah 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 I got I got edited out but I did play on it
0: yeah yeah well, well Mark thought Johnny was very professional and Johnny thought yeah. Mark was very professional you know what I mean both had yeah. that kind of cheap you know, Salford thing going on of like
1: Let's let's do it. <laughs> yeah, do it. Right, and that was it. Right. Well, I think we've come to the end of our hour's slot. It's been great to talk I to you, Terry. Sorry, we couldn't that. get I couldn't get any work. You know, chat here, but you know, we'll try and we'll try and edit that <laughs> together for a cosy ten minutes. You know,
0: <laughs> I, I feel like I've not talked about Mark enough because I no, I've, I've spent so much time with him.
1: No, yeah. at all. No, you talk about what you like, mate. It's always, You know. It might be a fall podcast, but it doesn't mean that's all we talk about. It was great to speak to you. <laughs> all right, brilliant. Hey,
3: fantastic to speak to
1: you. So, well, next time we'll have to get out for a pint. I've said this to everybody who's come on. It's going to be some night out this when we go out for this pint, but we'll have to ha- we're going to have to <laughs> hire really? somewhere, I think.
0: Yes, definitely. Or I'll get you on my next radio show. In fact, no, not- I need to interview anyway, because I'm doing a-, a Manchester music book covering uh, black people as well. Good. well time somebody did. <laughs> <in. laughs> <laughs> and I'm also doing one about being Irish descent. So I can double bubble you both, can't I? You bet yeah, you're on. All right, mate. Yeah. All right. Some good, good, intelligent quotes going on. <laughs> well, we'll do our best.
3: All
1: <laughs> right, good to speak to you, mate. Take care. Yeah, all right. right. I'll
3: Thanks speak to you, a Cheers, man. See oh, you man. Man.
1: Thanks a lot. Yeah, right. God bless. for joining us this week on Old Brother episodes are released every second Monday so watch for the next episode in two weeks follow us on Twitter at Old Brother Show where you can find a link to all our previous episodes on Spotify iTunes and YouTube while you're at it give us a rating on iTunes to tell your friends about us you can also check out our books about the fall the big midweek and have a bleeding guess available from root publishers and all good bookstores hope to see you all again soon and remember if you're driving take your car Ciao. out